The following is an exclusive podcast for the Dermatology Digest. Today we're speaking with Dr. Heather Woolery Lloyd, a board-certified dermatologist and a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. She currently serves as director of the Skin of Color Division for the University of Miami Department of Dermatology. Dr. Woolery Lloyd discusses the six lifestyle interventions to treat age-related and chronic dermatologic diseases and provides their evidence bases. Here's Dr. Woolery Lloyd. I'm going to open up a poster. So I did a poster. I presented a poster at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which do you want me to tell you a little bit about that? Because that actually could be pertinent. Okay. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a, I say new, but it's around 16 years old, relatively new medical specialty that focuses on evidence-based lifestyle changes to treat and prevent age-related and chronic diseases. It's a specialty that focuses specifically on evidence and lifestyle changes only. So it's not focused on supplements or other interventions like acupuncture or anything like that. It's truly lifestyle changes. And the six lifestyle changes that or lifestyle interventions that are the focus are diet, so recommending basically a plant-predominant diet, regular exercise, which is 150 minutes of exercise weekly, um, regular and consistent stress reduction, healthy, adequate sleep, which is around seven to nine hours, um, maintaining strong social connections. And I'm going to, you probably don't have this, but I'm going to tell you some studies about how social connections affect um, dermatologic disease and avoiding risky substances like excessive alcohol and smoking. So those are the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And that is this whole field, this new focus on lifestyle and our health. Um, The American College of Lifestyle Medicine has the most established, I would say, collection of data and is the most established organization that focuses solely on lifestyle. So it's different than integrative medicine, it's different than, which includes things like acupuncture and, um, you know, essential oils, you know, other things. It's different than functional medicine, which really looks at your labs and genetics. This is really focused 100% on just lifestyle changes, evidence-based lifestyle changes. So I I just want you to be aware of that because I think that it is, it's helpful for you know, as a reference, if you, they have a lot of experts too. But, you know, most, I'm probably one of the few dermatologists who focus on evidence-based lifestyle changes in that organization. Most of the big focus, obviously, in the U.S. is diabetes and hypertension and stroke and heart disease and all of that. Now, let's jump into psoriasis. Okay. So most of the data in psoriasis, most of it is focused on calorie restriction. And I think they probably counseled the patients on what healthy diets are, but they don't talk about a plant-predominant diet, which we're now showing, the research now shows, is a preferable diet, especially with people with chronic inflammatory diseases. And I do want to clarify what plant-predominant means. Plant-predominant doesn't mean necessarily mean vegan or vegetarian. It means a diet that's rich in, in vegetables, fruit and vegetables, which is around seven to nine servings a day. So it's not an elimination diet, but it's a diet that has more, it's basically rich in fruits and vegetables and avoids processed foods, excessive dairy, and excessive meat. So when you hear the word um, whole food plant-based or whole food plant-predominant, 
some people sometimes think that means vegan or vegetarian, and it doesn't. It really just means there's a larger emphasis on vegetables and less um, uh, and minimizing dairy, meat, and no processed foods. Okay, so let's talk about psoriasis and diet. Around eight studies that look at psoriasis and diet, all of them are calorie restriction, and a handful of them, um, one was a plant-predominant diet, one was a vegetarian diet, and one was a ketogenic diet. But in all of the studies, and these were interventional studies, so they took people who had psoriasis, they weren't retrospective and asked them what they ate and then measured their psoriasis. It was prospective, so they took people who had psoriasis and gave them a dietary intervention and then measured their POSI scores or the psoriasis severity at the end of this um, period of time. And in all of these studies, calorie restriction had a positive effect on psoriasis severity. So for diet, what has been studied the most is calorie restriction. Um, There's one study on the ketogenic diet and one study on a vegetarian diet, but the majority of them were just calorie restriction and weight loss focused but they did show that weight loss and calorie restriction improved um, psoriasis. When it comes to exercise, there are five studies that use exercise as an intervention. They typically use a combination of diet and exercise, so they gave them a, that intervention of diet plus exercise. They didn't look at exercise alone. But um, again, in all of those studies, they saw an improvement in psoriasis with exercises and intervention. And these studies, patients were typically stable on their existing psoriasis therapy. There also is a study on diet with acne. Okay, so there are three main things. So we know that a low glycemic diet um, is associated with improvement of acne in prospective studies. We know that whey exacerbates acne. We know that dairy exacerbates, and specifically skim milk. And then the other thing is there was one study that showed that a diet rich in plants had a beneficial effect on acne. There was a study, it looked at 518 adult women, and it was retrospective, so they, had a, they completed a questionnaire on dietary habits. And the researchers found that adult acne was associated with low weekly intake of fruits and vegetables, with an odds ratio of 2.33. And also that adult acne was associated with low consumption of fresh fish with an odds ratio of 2.76. And then the author of this study did an earlier study that also demonstrated an inverse relationship between moderate to severe acne and the intake of fish. So like I said, most of it is, you know, milk and glycemic load and whey, but also low vegetable intake is associated with acne and low consumption of fish. Who is that author? That author is Delandro. And so in this study it was done in Italy. So this it's the title of the article is Adult Female Acne and Associated Risk Factors results of a multi-center case control study in Italy that was published in 2016. And then again, Delandro, which is D-I and then a space L-A-N-D-R-O, has a paper called Family History, Body Mass Index, Selected Dietary Factors, Menstrual History, and Risk of Moderate to Severe Acne in Adolescent and Young Adults. That was published in the JAD in 2012. All right. 
now aging and, and skin cancer. So the skin cancer one, there's just one study. I'm sure there may be more, but one that I'm aware of. Okay. So the skin cancer one, it was an 11-year um, prospective study, prospective observational study. It was 1,360 adults aged 25 to 75 in Australia, and it was between 1992 and 2002. And they found that high meat and fat diets increase the risk of squamous cell carcinoma compared to those with predominant fruit and vegetable diet. And the higher consumption of vegetable and fruit appear to decrease um, SCC, the squamous cell carcinoma tumor risk, by 54%. And so there was no association between the dietary patterns and BCC tumors, basal cell cancers. So that's one study for skin cancer. Do you want the author on that skin cancer study? Uh, yes, please. Okay, so that one is I-B-I-E-B-E-L-E. I-B-I-E-B-E-L-E. And um, it's the name of the article is Dietary Patterns in Association with Squamous Cell Carcinoma of the Skin, a Prospective Study. And it was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2007. Okay. Okay, now for aging, there's quite a few studies. So there's one study that looked at 4,025 women and examined associations between nutrient intakes and skin. So they looked at these women and they um, had a scale for wrinkled appearance, dryness, and atrophy of the skin. And then the patients were given a 24-hour recall, which is what we often do in these dietary studies. So what did they eat in the last 24 hours? And what they found was that higher vitamin C intakes were associated with a lower likelihood of wrinkled appearance, higher linoleic acid intakes were associated with a lower likelihood of dry skin associated with aging, increased fat and carbohydrate intakes, increased the likelihood of wrinkled appearance, and these associations were independent of age, race, education, sun exposure, which is really important, income, menopausal status, the body mass index, which is also, I think, very important, supplement use, physical activity, and energy intake. Energy meaning calories, the total calories they consumed. So that's a really good one because it's a large study. It's over 4,000. The author on that one is Cosgrove. Its title is Dietary Nutrient Intakes and Skin Aging Appearance Among Middle-Aged American Women. And that was in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, published in 2007. Okay. Did you have another area that you want to talk about diet? I mean, hydradenitis is one that I think has been studied. Can you tell me a little about that one? There was one study that showed that um, increased soda um, and fast food and you're just talking about diet, so not, I was going to tell you about smoking, but increased soda and fast food intake were increased the risk of hydradenitis. That was another disease that has a strong association with diet. It's similar to acne where it's eliminating dairy, simple carbohydrates, sugar. Um, and then they also, just as a side note, again, not enough data to support this, but they think that maybe avoiding nightshade vegetables and mm. foods containing brewer's yeast 
may be helpful in some patients. But again, there's not enough data to make that conclusive, but it's just been reported. Okay, great. And can you tell me anything about atopic dermatitis? No. So that's the one where diet is extremely controversial, and the word Mm. extremely is an understatement. The only statement I would say is that the role of of diet in atopic dermatitis is controversial. Uh, Some parents believe that eliminating certain foods helps their children's atopic dermatitis, but um, there aren't studies that have convincingly or have definitively found that diet plays a huge influence in atopic dermatitis. I think like for acne, it's very well accepted. There's these large reviews, some prospective studies, like there's lots and lots of data. For psoriasis, there's multiple, like I told you, eight studies looking at calorie restriction. Um, For um, what we just talked about, aging, there are multiple prospective large studies, thousands of people. For atopic dermatitis, it doesn't seem to exist as much, and it becomes very controversial. Are we talking about things like the, the usual elimination diets for like eggs or yes. peanuts? Yes, yes, yes. But there's not much in uh, data there? I'll tell you this. There are, but then it's, it's switched back and forth. So if you'd had done this interview 10 years ago, it was to avoid peanuts. Yeah. And then now it's introduced peanuts earlier, and that's what I'm saying. There is there's stuff out there, but I don't know if there's a strong consensus. But I definitely think in eczema it's controversial because it keeps changing. It keeps changing every few years. Ten years ago we would have said avoid peanuts. Now we say introduce peanuts early. You would get ten dermatologists in a room, and they would argue about this. Some feel like it may play a bigger role. Some people feel that it plays absolutely no role at all, and the parents are wasting their time by eliminating certain foods, unless they're clearly allergic. I mean, if they have a true allergic reaction. But um, so that's, you know, there is a consensus on that. (laughs) But every time I've been in a room where people start talking about atopic dermatitis and, and diet, it's a very heated discussion. Yeah. I will say for atopic dermatitis, there is more data on the microbiome for that. And um, I think there's a handful of studies that's showing um, supplementation with probiotics improved atopic dermatitis. So I do think there's a consensus on that. So um, there are multiple trials looking at probiotics for atopic dermatitis. I'll just bring up one of them. So this was a study of 56 children ages 6 to 18 months. It was double. It's a great study, right, because it's randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled in Australia. They're doing a lot of this work in Australia. <laughs> and um, they got the probiotic they got was lactobacillus fermentum. And in that study... Um, the, the SCORAD, which is a measure of atopic dermatitis, was significant in the, the reduction in the SCORAD was significant in the probiotic group, but not in the placebo group. So this is what they concluded. Significantly more children who were in the probiotic group had a SCORAD index that was better than baseline at week 16 compared to the placebo group. And so it, it was close because it was 24 people in the 
probiotic group were better than baseline at week 16 and 17 people in the placebo group, but the p-value was 0.01. So it was, it was statistically significant. Also at the completion of the study, more children in the probiotic group had mild atopic dermatitis, which was 54% of them, compared to the placebo group, which is only 30%. And so they concluded that supplementation with the probiotic lactobacillus fermentum was beneficial in improving the extent and severity of atopic dermatitis in young children with moderate to severe disease. And I didn't mention that they had moderate to severe, so these were not mild atopics. So the author of this study is S. Weston, W-E-S-T-O-N is the first author. It's called Effects of Probiotics on Atopic Dermatitis, a Randomized Controlled Trial. And it was published in Archives of Disease in Childhood, which is a British medical journal. So that's a nice prospective study. There's another one here that looked at another randomized placebo-controlled trial. This was published in The Lancet, so again, really reputable journal. So this was a study where they gave lactobacillus prenatally to mothers who had at least one first-degree relative or their partner that had eczema, allergic rhinitis, or asthma. So they, they gave the moms it prenatally, and then they gave the probiotic postnatally six months to their infants. And uh-huh. they looked at, at the end. So the infants received it for six months, and the moms received it when they were pregnant. And they found that um, the frequency of atopic dermatitis in the probiotic group was half that of the placebo group. And so they concluded that lactobacillus, this was a different strain of lactobacillus. It was lactobacillus GG, which is different than fermentum. This one showed that lactobacillus was effective in the prevention of atopic disease in children at risk. And the author of that study is Kalliomaki, K-A-L-L-I-O-M-A-K-I. And it was in The Lancet and is published in 2001. Same group did a follow-up study, a four-year follow-up study on those same children, and they wanted to see if that benefit extended beyond infancy. So they looked at these kids, and they were like young children, like four years old. And um, this study was published also in The Lancet in 2003, same first author. 14 of the 53 children who received lactobacillus developed eczema, compared to 25 of the 54 receiving placebo. They don't specify in the abstract how old these kids were, but it was four years after the original study. The kids who got the probiotics, whose moms and the, the, the moms and kids who got the probiotics still did better than the placebo group. So I think in the dermatology literature, it's pretty well established that probiotics are helpful. That would say actually the prevention and treatment of atopic dermatitis. And there is something recently published in this year, June 2020, and it was a systematic review. And they looked at 22 studies and came to the conclusion that certain probiotics show benefit in reducing pediatric atopic dermatitis. So the review of 22 studies. Oh, who's the author on that? That is Carol Stephanie C. Tam Lim. And that was published in Pediatric Allergy and Immunology in 2020, this year. Do you want me to give you a summary for acne, aging, eczema, and psoriasis? That'd be good. Big picture. 
So let me give you that. So I would say for acne, the strongest data are for a low glycemic diet, avoiding dairy, and again with that caveat of skim milk seem to have the biggest impact. You want to have a low glycemic diet, you want to avoid whey, you want to avoid dairy, and a handful of studies that show low weekly intake of fruits and vegetables and low consumption of fresh fish were associated with acne. So that's the, the takeaways for acne. Okay. For psoriasis, the majority of the data is on calorie restriction. And um, in all of those studies, multiple, multiple studies, um, although some of them mixed diet and exercise, but they all included diet, um, they show that calorie restriction, or sometimes they'll use the word energy restriction, with, um, reduces improved psoriasis. And these are in, in multiple randomized trials. Okay, so then that's the conclusion you can come from for psoriasis. For aging, the big picture conclusion is that increased fat and simple carbohydrate intake increases the likelihood of wrinkled appearance from a handful of studies. And then um, also from a handful of studies, diet rich in um, vegetables, fruits and vegetables, were associated with a lower likelihood of signs of aging, which could be dry skin or wrinkled appearance. So that's the big picture for that one. Then hydradenitis we talked about. Obesity is a big problem with hydradenitis. We didn't go into that too much, but um, it does appear to get better with weight loss. Um, We do know that high intakes of all of the things that we talked about with acne, high glycemic foods, and one study looked at fast food intake and sodas were associated with hydradenitis. We ended with eczema. And eczema for atopic dermatitis, the big picture is that I don't think it has been established a clear consensus, but multiple studies have shown that probiotics can help with eczema. And I didn't talk about probiotics for aging. Um, I didn't mention that, but again, multiple studies with lactobacillus has showed an improvement in aged appearance with supplementation with lactobacillus. Can you uh, look a little into the future? Uh, what do you think dermatologists will be doing, maybe the typical dermatologists, in the area of diet, say, a couple years down the road? Well, I will tell you, just like now, smoking is a vital sign. So every patient we see across every specialty documents smoking, and um, most of the medical records prompt us to counsel on smoking cessation if people smoke. So I think the future of medicine in general is that lifestyle factors will become a vital sign and a part of our mm. physical exam, you know, or not a physical exam, but our medical record. Just like smoking has now become a part of our medical records. And so now, you know, we check the temperature, the blood pressure, the pulse and we record smoking history in every single patient, right? And that's across the board universally. So I think that the trend in medicine for all specialties, including dermatology, is that addressing lifestyle factors will become more important in treating certain skin diseases 
specifically diseases like psoriasis, acne, women and men, and concerned about anti-aging because that's a common, you know, that's a hot topic for anti-aging. So, but I think like, I think in the case of acne and psoriasis, I think lifestyle factors are going to become much more important and emphasized in the treatment and management of those diseases. And eczema too, it's just that eczema is, it's other things that can help with eczema, like there's, you know, studies on stress management and, you know, there are other social support and all of that, but we're not going to focus on that. So when it comes to just diet, there will be a time in the future where potentially people's diet will be a, a part of our medical history. How many servings of vegetables do you have on a typical day? How many days a week do you do that? Just like we ask people, you know, if you smoke, how many cigarettes do you smoke a day? How many packs a week? That kind of thing. So I do think that that is the future because our lifestyle is, we now realize, plays a tremendous role on chronic diseases that, you know, we're treating big things in dermatology like acne and psoriasis and hydradenitis and, and, you know, for general for the general public, hypertension, diabetes, and heart disease. And all of these are diseases that are aggravated and worsened by chronic inflammation in the body. And these plant-predominant diets are associated with lower inflammatory markers in the body. And the converse is true. So high meat, high processed meat diets are associated with higher inflammatory markers in the body. Thank you, Dr. Willary Lloyd. This has been an exclusive podcast for the Dermatology Digest. Find more at www.thedermdigest.com. Thank you for joining us.